Asia-Pacific currents. News and labour issues from the Asia-Pacific region. We strongly condemn the, the police that arrest uh, the protesters. Saturday mornings at 9 o'clock. On Community Radio 3CR. Workers of the world should unite to fight this greedy capitalist. Brought to you by Australia-Asia Worker Links. Good morning and welcome to Asia Pacific Currents this Saturday, the 1st of April, 1st of the month. I take you not for a full at all, listeners. I'm Giselle Hanna and I will be taking you through to 9.30 this morning. Uh, a big thank you to um, the comrades who did uh, Solidarity Breakfast, a great um, show. Thank you. And uh, they'll be back next next Saturday with more news and uh, labour movement issues from around Australia. Of course, Asia Pacific Currents is brought to you by Australia Asia Worker Links and you can get in touch with us on the web or the w's.aawl.org.au. You can email us at aawl at aawl.org.au. We're on Facebook and Twitter and of course you can follow us on social media to uh, see what else we have to say about labour movements across the Asia Pacific region. Coming up on today's program, I am playing uh, an excerpt of an interview that I conducted with Kelpona Akhtar. Kelpona is the Executive Director of the Bangladesh Workers Solidarity Centre and she was visiting Australia recently, uh, a Human Rights Watch delegation she was on. Uh, and of course, she did speak uh, to the Australian Labor Movement. There was a public meeting organised by the ACTU where uh, Kelpona spoke, but I did have an opportunity to interview her and I will bring you that story in the second part of today's program. I know we did promise you this Maruti um, Suzuki story, this uh, the comrades that are just evading me at the moment. Of course they're not, they are um, in the throes of um, a very, very serious struggle. So I just haven't had a chance to catch them specifically for an interview but of course the um, the campaign is continuing to grow to get those comrades released. Uh, these are the 13 workers um, union leaders that were sentenced to life imprisonment for the murder of the um, one of the managers of the Maruti Suzuki factory that burnt down in 2012. Uh, there were an additional four workers that got five year sentences uh, who are also a part of the campaign but um, given the the major difference in penalties that the thirteen and the four um, got, uh, the the attention is on those thirteen at at the moment. So that uh, so we were still going to bring you that story. I just can't bring it to you today. It is three minutes past nine o'clock though, and it is time for news from around the region. We're going to start in Myanmar this morning, uh, where 650 workers in a clothing factory in Hlung Taria were fired after holding a strike to demand a 10-day break to celebrate the Dingyang Water Festival. The workers had organised the strike on the 25th of March, that was last Saturday, to demand extra days off during the festive season. The workers were demanding 10 days while management was only offering five. In addition to to the demands related to the festive season, the workers raised 22 additional demands, including the right to sick leave, social welfare cards, and to supervise the security guards who the workers claim had been very violent and abusive. 
Now in South Korea, Samsung's new Galaxy 8 smartphone is produced by an exploited and harassed workforce. And this is according to an ITUC investigation into the company's aggressive anti-union employment practices. Of course, Asia-Pacific Currents has been consistently bringing you stories of Samsung's practices And uh, while the mass uh, media has focused on the exploding Galaxy 7, um, of course, we know that the, the workers are literally dying in those factories in South Korea. A company wide policy. This we're still talking about Samsung. A company-wide policy uses a combination of bribes, threats, bullying, dismissal, and even kidnapping to keep its employees, its workers, and people working for its suppliers under total control. 200 Samsung workers have fallen ill with leukemia, lymphoma and other occupational diseases, yet Samsung refuses, still refuses, although there is a court order now, to give details of the chemicals used in production. Um, And in fact, that district court ruled against the company's secrecy policy earlier this year. 76 of the workers, mostly in their 20s and 30s, have died. The revelations follow the launch of the disastrous exploding phone, the Galaxy 7 model, in 2016, and the arrest of company head Lee Jae-yong in the huge corruption scandal which led to the ouster of Korean President, President Park Geun-hee. Um, and for those of you who uh, don't know, there are developments in, in relation to President Park. She was arrested uh, yesterday or the day before on charges of bribery. There has there is a 115-page union-busting manual uh, that Samsung has, and this was obtained by a member of Korea's National Assembly in 2013. This manual details how Samsung senior management are trained in techniques to stop workers joining trade unions at all costs. The Galaxy 8 is being produced under the same conditions despite calls from the International Labour Organization's Committee on Freedom of Association for the Korean government to investigate and make the company respect basic workers' rights. It will be interesting to see how this particular um, area develops, especially with the now arrest of President Park um, and whether there can be a significant mobilisation of workers against Samsung. But moving now to uh, Indonesia, Coca-Cola's Australian-based bottler, Coca-Cola Amatil, is systematically violating basic rights in an effort to stamp out independent and democratic trade unions at its Indonesian operation. In March 2015, Coca-Cola workers in the Jakarta Sibutung area in West Java began organising an independent union, which was legally registered in May of that year, so that's 2015. Management responded by harassing members and taking disciplinary action against the leaders. On two separately documented occasions when workers formed independent trade unions with democratically elected leadership, the companies taken action shortly thereafter to sack or relocate those leaders. The IUF has repeatedly called on Amatil management at all levels and the Coca-Cola company in the US to remedy these blatantly anti-union practices. There has been no positive response from either company. 
Coca-Cola Amatil is the sole bottler of Coca-Cola products in Australia, New Zealand, Indonesia, Papua New Guinea, Fiji and Samoa. Um, And there is now an international campaign on the Labor Start website um, to apply pressure to Coca-Cola to recognise those unions and to stop its union-busting strategies. Of course, I think it will take more than an online petition campaign to actually produce a result in the Coca-Cola campaign, but it is certainly a start. Moving now to Bangladesh, bus drivers have gone on strike. Transport workers in Tungail began a bus strike on Thursday morning without any warning, demanding cancellation of the draft Road Transport Act, uh, which was recently passed um, the cabinet in in Bangladesh. Buses and buses and mini buses to Dhaka, uh, Mimensing and Jamalpur. Um, and a bunch of different northern district locations remain suspended under this strike. And if anybody has ever travelled to Bangladesh, you know that the roads are chaotic as it is. Um, But bus services on domestic routes were also suspended, causing absolute traffic chaos, more chaos than normal on the streets of Dhaka and across the entire country. According to the bosses, around a 1,000 buses and minibuses remain stranded. Um, That will certainly be a dispute to keep our eye on. Moving now to Pakistan. Sanitation workers in Rawalpindi, Pakistan, are about to go on indefinite strike. That strike is actually proposed to commence today. There was a deadline of yesterday um, for uh, the this particular municipal council to meet the demands of the workers. So I couldn't find a result about whether they the municipal council met um, the workers' demands. However, a sanitation strike is is currently scheduled to commence today and it's over non-payment of pensions, gratuity and other benefits and those those non-payments have been for two years duration. The union's been in regular discussions with the Municipal Corporation District Council over payment of these pensions and no payments have been forthcoming. So the workers have threatened strike action to halt all garbage collection in the district. This is sounding a little bit similar to the Lebanese garbage strike, so we'll see what happens in Rawalpindi in Pakistan. But still in Pakistan, workers at four major hospitals slated for privatisation stormed their hospitals in opposition to the proposal. The hospitals included Punjab Institute of Cardiology, the Lahore General Hospital, uh, the Services Hospital and a mental health hospital. The workers held protests, chanting slogans and later organised a sit-in. The protests were organised by the Punjab Paramedical Staff, which has now been renamed the Pakistan Allied Health Professionals Organisation. Holding placards and banners, the paramedical staff announced they would hold another protest in front of Charing Cross uh, if the government does not fulfil on their demands, which, in addition to the anti-privatisation demands, include uh, introducing legislation for professional allowances, risk allowances, and they're also asking for a restructuring of all staff from grades 1 to grade 16. And back to Korea. This one is a little bit of a troubling development and I've included it in the news today just so that um, we start to look at how the fight is changing a little bit or not even changing. Um, well, you'll you'll hear it soon enough. The, the creditors of cash-strapped Daewoo Shipbuilding and Marine Engineering Company 
in South Korea have asked the shipyard's labour union, so our side, to basically submit a written pledge not to launch any strikes in protest over bold restructuring moves. So basically the companies are in a financial difficulty, they need to restructure and they're putting pressure on the union not to take strike action by way of written pledge. The creditors, led by the state-run Korea Development Bank, demanded that the union present the written pledge by the end of next week, which they see as leverage to pressure corporate bondholders and commercial lenders to join a 6.7 trillion won um, or five point, or almost six billion American dollars, um, a, a rescue package for the um, embattled shipbuilder, including a massive debt for equity swap and a three-year grace period on remaining debts. So basically, in exchange for a a bailout, if the company can swindle that bailout without the union taking any strike action. Arguably, the exchange is workers don't lose their jobs, but will probably lose heaps and heaps of money in wages, entitlements and leave provisions. So that's what's happening in South Korea between Samsung, the ouster of President uh, President Park, this embattled ship um, company, and of course, the biggest fight of the labor movement's life in South Korea. Let's see how things play out over there. That is all I've got for news from around the region. It's 13 minutes past nine o'clock here on Community Radio 3CR. I'm going to go to some community announcements and then the feature interview for today's program, Kalpona Akhtar. We will not negotiate with minor state of title government or anyone on, on our culture, on, on our land. You know, if people say, oh, you're going to finish up with nothing, well then so be it. But at least our hearts will tell us that we did not sell out our country and our culture and heritage for a few scanty dollars. Subscribe to 3CR so that your dollars support Indigenous voices and the struggle for land justice. For Aboriginal people, the greatest grief of all is seeing the country destroyed. And somewhere along the line, we have to realise that we don't actually have the right to do that that nothing we've ever done has given us the right to do that. Now, you know where I stand on this, because I'm so simple-minded, I think we've just got to admit that this is an Aboriginal country. Just do it. Hello, I'm Ben from Regurgitator. Stay tuned to 3CR, support community radio and your local music scene, and subscribe now. Fifteen minutes past nine o'clock here on Community Radio 3CR. This is Asia Pacific Currents. Kalpona Akhtar is the Executive Director of the Bangladesh Workers Solidarity Centre. She works in the garment industry and the Bangladesh Workers Solidarity Centre organises workers in the garment industry. She was in Australia recently, hosted by Human Rights Watch, and I had an opportunity to interview her and here's that discussion. It is always happening because of the profit greed from the factory and from the brands as well, because there is a regulation, but, uh, you know, those are not implemented. That's the one big problem. Like, Adrana Plaza would not happen if the factory would uh, follow the building code. 
if the brand would do the structural, uh, you know, inspection prior to their placing the order. So they haven't done that. Tajreen, the workers would not die in that factory if those doors would be not locked when workers are working in the factory or when there was an emergency they were trying, you know, they were crying and begging to open the door, but there was no one that can be open the door and let them go. And the result, it is 112 workers died in that fire. So it is all happening because the law, and uh, sometimes the law is not implemented and sometimes the regulations are weak. So, and, in, of course, the, the corporate greed is one of the big problems. And still talking about health and safety, I mean, the garment industry is a predominantly female workforce. And I think there are some very specific health and safety issues to do with women workers that almost gets um, obscured uh, because of the male domination of the union movement. But for instance, garment workers in Indonesia have really drawn attention to this particular issue. And I wanted to ask you if it was your experience too, and that is of sexual violence at work, whether the, th- the threat of that violence is used to suppress industrial organising or if it's actually used as a weapon against women workers? Yeah, well, it's a great question. So the first of all, yeah, the, the government industry is Bangladesh is predominantly, you know, mostly the women workers are, okay? Over 80% of them are. It is true that they are not ever about... Uh, their health and safety. If we talk about the personal health and safety or reproductive health, none of them be aware about. Majority of them even don't know that what that means. And regarding the violation, especially the sexual harassment, I would say like in a in a package, the sexual and gender-based violence is is pretty common there. So, um, you know, the culturally we have been taught not to talk about it. You women, if you talk about you'd be the bad person or you have done that, men didn't do anything. So there is a huge, uh, the gender-based violence existing in those factories, but nobody talks. So we need to break the ice. If you go, you know, ask our government or the factory owners, they will, you know, one word they will say, no, there is no gender-based violence or the sexual violence happening in the factory, but it does. It of course does. And many times, this, uh, I mean, I think most of times these women don't speak out on that because, because of cultural taboos. And we are working on that to break down that, that women need to talk about it. And if, we, if they don't talk, the solution will never come. And, and again, uh, and, uh, your answer to that just really highlights why it's so important to have um, women workers in leadership positions in unions leading and raising the demands of the workforce. True, uh, true. And my next question is very similar because there, there I see a, a range of demands, um, industrial demands that are raised by women that, again, would be obscured um, with male-dominated union leadership. And and my next example actually comes from the Philippines, again from the garment industry in the Philippines. And I don't know if you recall, the there was a fire at a factory called Kentex, which was a, um, a, a shoe and yeah, foot... Yeah, shoe factory, yeah, yeah. That's right. So 70 workers died or were killed in that factory fire, but the count didn't 
um, include any children. And what the workers in that factory say is that because there are no childcare provisions, because there is no, um, because people are so poor and the whole family is at work. And you talked about being a, a worker when you were a child. So this factory was full of children because there was nowhere for them to go. Their mothers were at work. They had to bring them with them. And those children perished in the fire, but they weren't included in the the death toll of that particular particular factory fire. What's the situation in Bangladesh in relation to childcare and what do whole families that are working in a factory do with their young children? Well, um, first I wanted to respond to this male-dominating union. Yeah, it's a, it's a kind of like universal problem that we are all being facing. So if we just, you know, give an example of the union that uh, in Bangladesh, yeah, majority of them are dominating by the men. So the women's issue do not come uh, in the mainstream. So, like, for example, the first of all, it is so difficult to, you know, uh, run the union there. We have uh, more than uh, 400 factory union registered, uh, but it is <coughs> a few... I think it is less than 50 of them are functioning. And if you go through the union charter of demand, basically it says that, you know, the factory should implement this law and that law. So but still we are, you know, stick to the basic. So when these, you know, women dominating industry, do the union talks about women's uh, maternity leave? Do they talk about the daycare center? No. So, you know, to respond to the uh, last, piece of the, uh, last piece of the question that what about the daycare system uh, in there, and, you know, responding to that before I should say that what is the maternity, uh, you know, leave and benefit looks like. So it is a law entitlement that worker, women workers should receive four months leave with pay. So we call maternity leave with benefit. Um, it is... Um, uh, enforced, but not throughout the industry. Maybe a good percentage of the factory are respecting that, but still a huge number don't don't giving this facility to their workers. And the care center, you can see that. I mean, it's a, I, I couldn't even say the percentage. If any percent, you know, one percent or two percent factory even respecting this law or set up a real operational daycare center in their factory, but you know, if you uh, visit the factory, uh, you will see there is a room, um, especially during the audit, they set up a room and clean up and keep like one or two babies, sometimes no babies, uh, just show to the brand that they have a daycare center. But when the brand leaves, it's become a, you know, a storeroom or some other reason they're using that room. So this is the daycare center system. And there is a lack of, I mean, there is no daycare system in the community as well. So what happens, these women who come, you know, migrated them from the countryside to the city for the job to learn what is the economic freedom is, to know what is the women empowerment is. Soon as, you know, they start learning that, soon as they get married and babies, they just, you know, went back where they started because... Uh, they quit their jobs and they go back to their villages. So this is what happened, you know, uh, uh, because of lack of daycare center 
in the community as well as in the factory because factory it is entitlement factory didn't enforce that so um and the last question you had regarding uh, what happened a entire family if they work in a, one factory for garment industry you know it is very rare you're going to see the children and mother uh, working today because the child labor issue uh, is not like 100 percent eliminated but you know i would say it is over 95 percent or 98 percent has been eliminated you're not going to find child in the export-oriented factory, those uh, situated in the city or outskirts, maybe in the remote areas, you're going to get them, or in the subcontract factories. So it is not a pretty common these days that you're going to find a whole family working on one factory. But <clears throat> factory like Tajreen or Rana Plaza, we have to experience that, like son and mother and maybe uh, uh, daughter-in-law working in the same factory. Uh, son was able to escape, but daughter, ha- son-in-law, uh, sorry, uh, son was uh, uh, was able to escape, but uh, mother, you know, mother died in that factory. Or sister was able to escape, but other sister was died in the factory. Sometimes the husband died, wife was, uh, you know, about to escape from that death toll, sorry, deadly factory. So this has happened. I mean, this is definitely a disaster for a family losing their beloved in, in a factory where they work together. And it is this is all happened because uh, the law and regulations are not implemented in the factories that they're supposed to do. And, of course, when workers collectively organise against these conditions, and this is what you were talking about earlier, you face very serious repression. And you mentioned one of your colleagues that was tortured and killed, so beaten to death. Can you paint a picture of the situation that dissidents, organisers, activists like you face for doing the work that you do, organising against the conditions and against the bosses? Sure. I mean, for us, it is not easy to work in there, uh, you know, work that, that we are doing uh, to improve working conditions, to have workers wise in the mainstream. It's so difficult for us. It is that much difficult that whenever we try to raise our voice to increase the wages, which is definitely poor at this moment, like the normal is $68 a month, um, which is not enough for one person to survive in Bangladesh, let alone entire family. So with, with over time, they might be getting few bucks more, and but it is still not enough. So uh, whenever we, we were supporting <clears throat> workers' voice to increase the wages, every time we had to face this harassment and intimidation and all bogus charges, that brought against us by the employers as well as the government. And it is difficult, it is, sorry, it is happened in, in back 2010 when I was in prison for a month with my co-worker. Um, uh, it has happened just two months ago when workers in Ashulia, um, uh, yeah, Ashulia is an outcast in Dhaka, uh, when workers raise their voices uh, to increase the minimum wage or review the minimum wage, responding to their these, the the government and factory owners show resistance. They brought eleven different criminal charges um, 
arrested 39 workers and labor leaders. They've faced two months imprisonment. Uh, they're released now, they're released on bail, but he's still facing all these criminal charges. Other hand, it about 1,000 workers has been fired, and many of, many hundreds of them has been blacklisted. So, you know, not only that, I mean, I lost my coworker who was one of the, you know, senior organizers in our center. And for his advocacy, he lost his life. He has been disappeared, and later we found, uh, later police has been found his body. And it is clearly evident that he was beaten to death. So, and is this, uh, I mean, all happened because who is our counterpart? Who is our opposition? It is, it is uh, not only the factory owner, it is factory owner and government together because my legislator is my factory owner. Uh, 70% of our parliamentary members, directly or indirectly, they are with the government business. They're with the RMG business. So, uh, you know... Whenever um, we, we raise our voices for worker uh, freedom of association rights or wages or safety, we need to face this circle of harassment and intimidation. Hi, I'm... No, I didn't do testing. Oh, okay. Testing, <laughs> testing. Okay. Hi, I'm Susanna Espy. And I'm Ida. And you're listening to 3C... <laughs> That's right. You are listening to 3CR. We're right in the closing minutes of the show. That interview was Kalpona Akhtar. The whole interview, so that was only an excerpt, the whole interview will be broadcast on Women on the Line on Monday at 8.30 here on 3CR. So if you want to hear the rest of that conversation, tune in to Women on the Line. Coming up next is Palestine Remembered, but I do want to announce the Palm Sunday rally, which is on the uh, Sunday, the April uh, April the ninth. Uh, this is a refugee rally um, uh, at uh, two o'clock at the State Library. So make sure you get to that. But coming up now is Palestine Remembered. You've been listening to a three CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station three CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.